Hey, everybody, and welcome to EdSoul, a podcast for educators by educators. Each episode, we bring you insights, techniques, and strategies rooted in research that you can put into practice in your classroom right away. I'm your host, Rachel Logan. Hi, everybody. Sourcewell is here to come alongside you on your professional journey as an educator and help you achieve your goals as you work to boost student success. Today, you're going to hear from an external guest and resource, Dr. Nathan Elliott of The Catalyst Approach, sharing about unlocking the challenge of disruptive behavior. And spoiler alert, it's not about fixing kids. Dr. Elliott has recently defended his dissertation research on this topic, and we're excited to bring you the results here so that you can put it into practice in your own classroom learning spaces. We're glad you're here. Let's get to it. Hey, soulmates. Today we are bringing you some very recent research on a timeless topic, managing disruptive student behavior. I have Dr. Nathan Elliott of The Catalyst Approach here to share some recent research. That is a fun phrase to say, recent research. Some new research from his recently defended dissertation work on this very topic. So let me first introduce you to Nathan and then uh, we will jump right in. So Nathan is most passionate about impacting student learning and helping educators develop skills already within themselves to become even better at their work. In addition to training and coaching, he has hosted hundreds of fellow educators in his own classroom as a demonstration teacher. He is a walking advertisement for all things Apple and sorts his friends into categories. Maybe I need to hear about what your categories are. (laughs) That's a whole other episode. That's another one. Okay. (laughs) And he likes to be involved in anything interesting. And some might say has a fear of missing out. I can relate to that Mm -hmm. as well. Um, we just like to think this is your colleagues sharing this, that he has a lot of energy. So welcome, Dr. Elliot, and thanks for being on Edsel. Thank you. Fun to be here. Is there anything else that you'd like to add to that introduction that well, I didn't share? That's pretty much it. <laughs> that's a all there is to know. sorting mm-hmm. and a passion for students and educators. Education. All right. Perfect. Um, well, I always like to start by grounding us in our why, and so I'm going to also start with that with you. Um, can you share a little bit about what makes you personally con- connected to this topic and the work that you do? Yeah, um, I have only ever worked in education. That's my my first job was working after school with kids, and um, I became a teacher, and I've always loved it. I've been fortunate to um, be working closely with people who inspire me to keep getting better. And that's why I do that work with teachers now, because it just keeps making the system better, Um, especially when people get enough support to make themselves as an individual grow. It tends to spill over and ripple out into the whole system. So I just get to see that all the time. And it's a motivating, exciting, rewarding thing to be a part of. Nice. So I'm going to jump into some of the information that you shared about your your research that you conducted. And so um, I pulled a line from there where you, you talked about classroom behavior as a frequent concern for teachers that are emotionally exhausted by the profession. And I feel like a lot of us can relate to this, but where does this come from? Personal experience, professional, you've worked in many schools and with thousands of educators um, where are you kind of pulling that piece from. So some of it comes 
in the research through burnout Mm -hmm. um, and factors that people actually articulate as a reason why they left. Um, And emotional exhaustion is the like research term that's used in the literature. Um, And people are self-identifying that. So they're, they're associating not only the reason why they leave with being exhausted and the emotional part of exhaustion, not physical exhaustion necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that could be a, a factor that's related, but um, disruptive behavior is also included as an example of what is creating the emotional exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that comes from lots of research, um, but it also is something that shows up in anecdotal work with teachers mm-hmm. um, who are more frequently than ever saying, this is my hardest year ever. Mm. I've never experienced this situation or this behavior pattern that's happening. Um, I have experienced being exhausted at different times by trying to like balance all the needs that are Mm -hmm. out there because it is a very complex Mm -hmm. job to do. Um, And so that's where that comes from. Um, It's not only people talking about it, but, they're sharing that more formally in mm-hmm. studies and things that are out there. Were you a part of the catalyst? Both you're both pre and post COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Catalyst approach. So, do you, is there a difference in what you're seeing, or is it just kind of disruptive behavior existed before and it exists after? There I'm just is, curious. There is some difference post pre post COVID. Um, at the same time. Pretty much universally, people tend to forget what is the hardest thing. So an easy example is everyone in September is always surprised by how September feels. <laughs> they're exhausted. They're stressed. Mm-hmm. They're like, this can't they possibly. Can't yeah. <laughs> and then they associate that with how the students are uh-huh. at the beginning of the year. But it's because what they're remembering is how they left them sure. at the end of the previous year. Yeah. And so to bring people back to like centered around that they have to be reminded sometimes that no you've mm-hmm. always had this same challenge <laughs> yeah and you worked through it before yeah so we can work through it again um and then there are some things that have changed in the world that are impacting kids differently and so there are patterns that maybe people have never experienced before that are real mm-hmm. um that they have to figure out mm-hmm. for the first time Thanks for that bonus question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, you you cited a lot of different data as you've already kind of pulled into this conversation. Um, and one of the major, or not a major piece, but one piece that was in your work is the major discrepancies by race and gender specifically um, when it comes to the rate of discipline and also how harsh the consequences. How did this existing data fit into the research that you were looking at? So I didn't specifically study the racial discrepancies or the gender discrepancies because we already know that exists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what, where it fits is how alarming it is that children's skin color could be a predictor of how they're treated by adults in a school. Um, and it is very commonly true that they get a harsher consequence Um, their behavior is noticed more as disruptive um, in especially like more subjective situations. So it isn't things like hard policy lines where they're interpreted to be behaving a certain way, but Mm. 
they're more likely to be called aggressive if their skin is black or brown than a child who is doing the exact same action, Mm -hmm. but their skin is white. Mm -hmm. And so when that pattern happens over and over and over again, it requires a different look at what's happening. Mm -hmm. So that set some of the urgency for why I wanted to study the decision-making part that Mm -hmm. teachers do, because Mm -hmm. when it's subjective, it is the teacher who's choosing when they have reached the line of what's disruptive versus mm-hmm. what they maybe would call non-disruptive or yeah or yeah. appropriate whatever yeah. they might attach that to but that is a subjective judgment mm-hmm. that people make and so knowing that that ends in data like suspensions and expulsions are far higher disproportionate to race um especially then if we back up from there, what is it that leads to some of those harsh consequences that maybe we know are true? So like there are big issues like weapons or things that are just like the policy says this and so that's the consequence. Yeah. But there's also lots of other things that escalate when they don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to mm-hmm. based on those decisions. So that's what I really wanted to figure out is how do we get there Yeah. first? And that wasn't really studied before. I'm like slowly walking up to what is the study. We're going to get there. Um, No, but I'm just thinking even of my own experience as like what my energy or mood level was for the day, like how much I'd put up with, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, you know, I'm I'm feeling good. It's Friday. The weekend's coming maybe. And I'm just like, oh, we can be playful and it can be funny. And then maybe if I'm just like super crabby being like, knock it off yeah like enough with the attitude you know and just how i think those are like the subtle Mm -hmm. discrepancies you're talking about where it's the disrespect or defiance or non-compliance some of those that feel like super ambiguous Mm -hmm. when it's not that hard like you can't bring a weapon to school you you can't smoke on campus you know not those things but the Mm -hmm. yeah and that's partly not to jump too far ahead but that is partly what the study asked teachers to think about is you have your own, like everyone has their own range of what they would consider to be disruptive. Yeah. And so without defining it for them, there are some like parameters to consider. Like, is this interrupting the flow? Mm -hmm. Is this um, causing someone else to be interrupted in their learning? Is it impacting like, or interrupting something else? So, um, People may have jumped to the extreme Mm. of Mm -hmm. some of that when they start interpreting what they're being asked about, but that is all part of the decision making. And that's actually highlighting and reinforcing the fact that it's subjective Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just, let's keep going there Um, and feel free to jump around. You don't, there, I always say there's no rules on here. You can take it where you want it. Um, But so we talked about, you know, disruptive behavior in your research but as you were telling us and as we're we're talking about right now you didn't focus on the students like what's the deal with the students or even my question about covid what did covid do to students you didn't focus on that um or hypothesize reasons connected to students behavior you really focused on adults adult behavior um so do you want to share a little bit more about that shift why you chose to make that your focus so we've spent in eternity in the school system trying to get kids to change their behavior mm-hmm. and make sure that whatever their behavior is fits into the boundaries of what the adults 
who are the ones with the power mm-hmm. say is the right thing to do at school. Yeah. And so while one person might say this kid tapping their pencil is disruptive, someone else might not even notice that that's happening. Doesn't even hear it. So when it's the adults who have that much power to say you've crossed the line, yeah. they have to be even more aware of their own impact and what that does for kids mm-hmm. on the other side. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I wanted to focus on the adults because they get to choose. The kids don't. And they're just at the mercy of whatever adults pick for them. Which is a little scary, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, both as the adult with that much power and if you are a child feeling like you don't have um so it's a huge responsibility for the adults to create the conditions for kids to be successful. That was a nice reframe instead of it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is both. Yeah. Because if you if you are the adult making that choice and you're not aware of the responsibility that that has, yeah. you might make a choice that harms a child without necessarily intending to. Mm-hmm. But then you have to be willing to be honest and back up and go, okay, yeah. can I make a difference in it? in another way instead. Right. Right. So you talk a lot about um, self-efficacy and that was a huge part of your, your research study. So can you define self-efficacy for us and then also maybe give an example or two of what it would look like in the teaching world? Yeah. So um, sometimes the term gets interchanged with just efficacy by itself. Um, But efficacy on its own is how effective you are at something. So, are you able to produce the results? So if it's something simple like tying your shoe, are your shoes tied at the end of the moving the strings around? Mm-hmm. And if it is, you are effective or you have high efficacy at tying your shoes. Okay. When you add self to the front, it changes the focus a little bit to the belief you have about your own efficacy. So if you believe that you're going to be successful at tying your shoes, you're more willing to keep trying. You're more willing to like figure it out. You're more willing to ask questions and keep heading in that direction. So high self-efficacy in teaching sounds like I'm going to figure this out or I have this situation I've never handled before. I'm going to go seek some support for this. Um, But they tend to look inward if you have high self-efficacy because you associate yourself and your efforts with the outcome being what you want. Mm. If you have low self-efficacy, you're more likely as a teacher to say, well, if only, and then you fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. If only we had lower class sizes. Sure. If only I didn't have to balance so many IEPs. Mm-hmm. If only the families were more supportive. If only that kid had meds. Any of those things that tend to like creep in, even if they're not like an intentional trying to make it harder. Mm-hmm. It's the outward looking yeah. for someone else to fix it, for a variable to change so that you don't have to fix it yourself or figure out how. Mm. Um, and when people are overwhelmed, it's easier to look outward yeah. and say, like, I hope something changes versus going, what can I do to figure this out? Yeah. So that is the foundation for the study of if we know that people have different levels of self-efficacy. How does that possibly relate to the practice of sending kids out of the room? So that is the focus of so, what I wanted to find out. Yeah. So what what did you find out? 
Um, well, it turns out if you have high self-efficacy, the people, so how we figured it out first is there was a survey. Um, it's an original new survey and it's specifically focused on a bunch of statements related to handling disruptive behavior. So people were asked, so like everyone in the state of Minnesota got the survey unless it went to their spam. <laughs> Um, but y'all had the opportunity. Yeah, they <laughs> no. did. At least they tried. No, I learned then. today shaming is not an effective form <laughs> of behavior change. <laughs> so there are a lot of people that chose to respond. Um, and the first 15 statements were all things like, I can maintain my own sense of calm if there's a disruption, or I can support students who have disruptive behavior, on and on and on, things like that. And then all of that was compiled to give everybody a self-efficacy score. Okay. So someone who would say like high agreement on a lot of those statements would end up with a really high self-efficacy score at the end. And then they were asked some additional questions to compare. So the additional questions were things like, how frequently do you believe students should be sent out of the room for disruptive behavior? Um, how frequently do you actually send kids out of the room for disruptive behavior? And then a few other things like how long you've been teaching, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And there was a very clear pattern that the people who said rated themselves really highly, like I can figure things out, I have the skills within me, or I have the potential to figure out even if I don't know the answer up front. Um, those people were the same people who were more likely to say we should not be sending kids out as much as we do. And I don't actually do it that often because I try to handle things myself and maintain the support in the room yeah. that's going to help them get back on track and be successful. And um, they're more likely to look at what are the things that I can do to help support. Um, so the clear trend is high self-efficacy means low send out rate mm -hmm. and then low belief that send outs are the right answer. So did you find that you had any outliers that both rated themselves high on the self-efficacy efficacy rating, but then also answered that they believe students should be sent out or they were sending out students frequently? So the pattern was such a clearly strong trend that anyone who might have answered in opposition, mm -hmm. like in opposition to the trend, blended in because of how many people answered the survey. So there were over 3,000 people in the sample. And when you have that many people, it's kind of like how a standardized test works. So an individual score, like if you watch a kid take the test and you can see they're just like making up and guessing answers, mm -hmm. you would say that that kid's test is not mm -hmm. valid. Mm -hmm. But if you take the hundreds of thousands of tests that are all the same and you look at all the data compiled what is most accurate is the pattern, okay. the trend. And so the same thing applies in this case, like with thousands of people who answered, if there were a couple people that mm -hmm. didn't fit the pattern, mm -hmm. they blend in okay. because the pattern is so strong. Okay. So that's how this one turned out. Wow. So what, what other things were surprising that you kind of bumped into or, and what was maybe an affirmation where you're like, yep, that's kind of what I thought I'd see so in terms of surprising, there were a couple questions about how people perceive the impact of sending kids out. So the term I used in the survey was send out. 
Okay. Whether that actually physically means a send out or like a, you're going to go over here and take a break from what we're doing instead oh. of continuing to be with the class. So or they could be sitting in a, in a cool a down timeout chair, chair or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It could be they're in the hallway. It yeah. could be they've been referred to the office, but any of those like broad category would be referred to as a send out. Okay. So there are a couple of questions I asked people about like, how do you, what do you think about the impact of sending a kid out on their academic achievement? And my hunch was that it was going to be pretty conclusive that people associate time out of the classroom or out of the learning experience yeah. with lower academic achievement. And the answer to that question was pretty mixed. Like huh. it was inconclusive. Okay. Um, and so in that much analysis those kinds of questions, they turned out not to be that good of a question. That's how researchers figure that out is, oh, okay. well, like, if it didn't conclude anything, uh, I must have asked it the wrong way. Or the choices that people could pick from didn't actually fit what they were thinking. Okay. And then it it split people up into too many different categories, so there wasn't a clear trend in how people perceive that. Sure. That doesn't mean they don't think something yeah. conclusive. It just means I asked it wrong. Well, in the particular, it, it, when you say it, like, do you, do you think that time away from learning would impact your achievement level? That sounds like duh. So, was the well, question phrased like that, or was it? It was the send out question. It was. Um, it wasn't probably as clear as what you just actually would that said. Be leading. <laughs> I might go back and redo it just so I can ask the question in that exact way because oh, well, that's so welcome. specific. Um, <laughs> And that's part of what I have you, not defended the dissertation, just to be clear. So well, that's a good first step. <laughs> Thank you. Is having good questions. <laughs> um, so that may have made a difference if I asked it differently or um, gave different choices. Because part of statistics is having enough quantitative information. So I had to ask the question and then have a series of choices that people picked from versus just leaving it completely open. Um, so People answered many different ways, but it was like a meant to be a continuum. And I think that it just didn't, mm. it didn't land the way I expected. Um, and then there was a similar question about how people perceive the impact of a send out on the relationship with the teacher and the student. Um, and that one, lots of people said it did not have an impact at all, mm. which was meant to be like the neutral answer. Like if that's what you think. Yeah. And my interpretation of that which may or may not be accurate is that people who think it makes no impact are actually thinking sometimes it protects our relationship for someone else to solve the problem mm. but then i think that's mixing up the difference between i chose to send you out and like maybe you got sent out while you were at lunch by someone else. Ah, and sure. so now you're not in the room. But yeah. so it may have been too many factors all mixed into one question. And yeah. that might have added clarity. But question writing is not for the faint of heart. It's not. Huh? It's, not. <laughs> it's harder than it sounds or than it seems. So that's where most of the surprises came from is just maybe the question not leading to what I thought people would interpret it as. Sure. Um, and then affirmations. It is. Um, it is true that I had a hunch that self-efficacy was going to be related mm -hmm. to the practice of sending kids out. I just didn't know how. 
And so it was affirming to know that there actually is a connection mm-hmm. and that is as strong as it was in the data. Um, that reinforces the fact that that's a big deal. Like yeah. we need to be paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. So I have another question about self-efficacy, but I'm just going to put a pin in it and come back because I want to know, like, what do you like? How do you want to use this research that, you know, your last statement just led me to be thinking about the. So how do you use this? You already are in a position where you're working with adults, right? And improving or not improving, empowering adults to, you know, make decisions that impact children. So how do you see your findings playing into your current role or any educator that maybe doesn't work for the catalyst approach, but is in a school and wants to use this to help them become even better? Sure. Um, it is no secret that education is challenging Mm -hmm. and why people choose it more than anything else that I see or that I would have used as a reason is it's also rewarding. Like that's why people still come and seek it out and want to do it. That's why people leave other careers to come and do this, even though that it pays less. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and so the challenge is, in order for people to experience the rewards, it's taking too long to be motivating enough to stay. Mm. So like, it's great when you get invited to a graduation party from a student you impacted 10 years ago, but you can't wait 10 years to know your impact in order to be motivated to stay in a really challenging profession. Yeah. And so you just have to teach 12th grade. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, just kidding. <laughs> then you only have to wait a few months. Yeah, no, no, I to- I hear what you're saying. So, the knowing that 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 self-efficacy is so related to your motivation and the decisions you make we have to accelerate how quickly people feel their impact Mm -hmm. in a positive way so that the rewards can be experienced along with the challenges at at least an equal rate so it stays balanced Mm -hmm. Um, but what people are who are burning out are experiencing is more challenge than reward Mm -hmm. and reward is different than like the grad party invite. It's more the intrinsic why I chose to come here and do this Mm -hmm. feeling. Mm -hmm. And if they could experience enough of that reinforcing like feedback for lack of a better term, which could come from someone else. It could come from like watching your impact with kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But if people can get enough of that and get back in balance, Mm -hmm. they will stay longer Mm -hmm. and continue to multiply their impact even more. So what this research tells us is we have to accelerate people's self-efficacy. They have to believe in themselves enough to stick it out when it's hard and also get enough support that's empowering to them. Um, So it can't just be more support. It has Mm. to be the right kind of support Mm -hmm. that helps people feel empowered. Well, that's perfect because that's the question that I was wanting to come back to, which is, so if I feel like my self-efficacy is low, or I'm even thinking I was as you were you know, sharing your stories about like what it looks like and how to find it and where we're looking. And I was going back to, I think, my second year teaching and I was struggling with some classroom management and had a mentor teacher come in and do some modeling. And oh, my gosh, my students did just fine with her. And I had this like. It's me. Mm. Hi. I'm the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's me, right? 
I already referenced Taylor Swift a little bit ago, so sorry, you get two references okay. in one day. Um, but yes, I was like, oh, shoot, I'm the problem here. Like, this is, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. So what what does somebody do if they maybe either have the self-awareness that they're like, okay, I got to do something, or maybe if they're in a coaching situation where you are a coach trying to build that, how does somebody gain or improve self-efficacy? So there's mainly two things. One is get more skills. And the other is get support to get those skills. Okay. Because everybody can be reflective on their own and think, like, back up enough to go, okay, this is the problem. What could I try? Mm -hmm. But you get to a point where you've tried everything you know. Mm -hmm. And so at the point where you've tried everything you know, if you say, well, that's it. There, it must be them now. Sure, it must I've be the exhausted kids. All of my resources because I'm a. Even if you say like I'm a good teacher and I've done everything I can, so it must be them. You will still be stuck, mm-hmm. and so the only thing to get unstuck is to go get support. And no matter where you are on the continuum of feeling like a good teacher, feeling like a bad teacher because you're experiencing challenges. The only answer out is support and skills. So if you if you just say, believe in yourself more, mm-hmm. that's not enough because you need skills to see positive impact. And then those positive impacts build up and help you believe in yourself more. But it's the practical with the belief at mm-hmm. the same time that have to be accelerated. Because mm-hmm. the only other way to grow in self-efficacy takes too long and it's experience because that was the other question one of the Mm. questions was how long have you been teaching yeah and there was a somewhat linear trend that the people who had been teaching longer had higher self-efficacy but in terms of the years they've indicated they've been teaching the people with zero to ten years are not that different than the people with 11 to 15 that's kind of hopeful maybe or maybe except (laughs) it takes it takes up to 10 years to really make a difference. So you have to be teaching for far too long and people yeah. are leaving after five. Right, right. So mm-hmm. if they don't get enough experience to feel high self-efficacy, then they're going to be gone before we have a chance to support them. Instead, we have to back up and go, how do we accelerate the skills for them with the right amount of support to help empower them to keep going and make a difference and then mm-hmm. be aware of the positive impact they're making right now. So um, what are you left still wondering about? Um, well, I got lots of, well, not lots. I got a few fun pieces of feedback from people who saw the survey. And I don't know if they took the survey or if they just wanted to give feedback on the survey. But some of the ideas that people wanted me to study oh. are part of what is making me curious moving forward. Okay, um, Because any study, you have to pick what you're studying which means you're inherently picking what you're not studying at the same time because you have to have a boundary. Otherwise, you'd be working forever and you wouldn't actually know anything. So um, some things that people identified that would be useful are differences between school environments or school settings. Like, is the context rural, urban, Mm -hmm. suburban? Mm -hmm. And are there differences in self-efficacy across those different environments? Um, 
because I included anyone from anywhere in this particular study because that's not what my focus was. Sure. Um, but someone else could study that for their <laughs> dissertation. Um, I'm also interested in differences when um, certain demographics match up versus when they don't. So like if um, a black teacher is working with predominantly black students, is that different than if a black teacher is working with white students? Or if you flip it around and say like, what's more common is a white teacher is working with lots of students of color and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to know, does your self-efficacy change when the students you work with look like you? Or is it different when they don't? Yeah. Um, so it would be more of the nuances within this big topic. Yeah. That would be extensions and next steps that I'm certainly curious about. Yeah. Whether I'll do a formal study on it or not is another question. When you do, you should come back and tell us what you found. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> that would be fun. Oh, so do you have a kind of a... In addition, I'm going to ask you, what are you reading, watching, or listening to that you'd recommend? And this can be professional or personal, but um, also any kind of like lasting encouragement or advice or strategy that you want folks listening to to take away with them. So um, what I'm reading, I tend to gravitate towards like professional, academic, nonfiction things. Um, dopamine is fascinating to me right now. So I'm in a rabbit hole of researching everything I can about that. Um, <laughs> so the Huberman lab podcast with, um, Dr. Huberman is interesting, especially anything he talks about that's dopamine related. So he has okay. lots of episodes about lots of things, but I just find the ones that are what I'm interested in. Um, and the impact that that has, there is a connection to my research in terms of dopamine because, um, he calls it the belief effect. And when you when you use your frontal lobe to consciously and logically tell yourself you are making progress and you are going to figure this out, it actually releases dopamine to help you be motivated to do the actions it takes to move forward, the actions it takes to like figure it out. Um, and so is that the, different or the same from like a self-affirmation? It. I don't know if you could just replace the term and have it be exactly the same thing, but it is the chemical side of what's happening in your body when your brain sends a particular message to okay. you. Um, and so there is an effect of saying to yourself, even if you don't necessarily trust yourself, mm. when you make it something that could be true and you like speak it, that helps it to become real. Um, and so the advice would be to keep figuring it out and don't expect it to ever feel like you're done with that when you're in a situation that's challenging because the profession of education is human. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so every human you have is a new set of variables mm -hmm. and then you multiply that times however many people you're in charge of and you have to figure out all the dynamics that that goes along with. So some people have gotten by with being lucky Mm -hmm. that they haven't had to work that hard at figuring out the situation they're in. And then they encounter a new one and that's when it shakes their confidence a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the advice is stay in it when you have those moments and then be willing to step back and go, what are the things that I can do or where can I get support yeah. to figure this out? 
So there might be neuroscience behind fake it till you make it. Maybe. <laughs> yes, actually. Lots. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, maybe that's what's blocking my health goals. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I just got to I got to say the words. <sighs> All right. So that's what you're reading and that sounds very interesting and I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. Yeah. Um anything else that you want to a a lasting kind of shout out to our I said you're an, you're a soulmate now. You've been on Ed Soul. So anything you want to share with our soulmate listeners, encouragement or strategy wise? Um anything that you bring to your classroom that helps kids has to be conscious and purposeful and you have to know that you're making an impact every day. So if you feel like you're not making an impact, you have to step back enough to look at what's rewarding and what's working in order to stay motivated to keep going. And that's what we're here to do. Like that's what I do for my whole life. So <laughs> so we will also link that information yeah. if people are looking for skills and support if they're feeling that self-efficacy is low. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Elliot, for being on here and sharing your information and your research with us. Um, I'll make sure to, like I said, link any of the information that you shared, um, as well as can I share information on how to get in contact with you if people have questions? Absolutely. Or, okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That's all we have for this episode of EdSoul, a podcast for educators by educators. If you are loving the show, make sure you share it with a friend. Your personal recommendations are powerful. And if you really love this show, we would love it if you could rate and review us within your preferred podcast app. Your ratings and reviews will help other people discover the show and benefit from these great strategies as well. Check out our show notes for a recap of this episode and a list of resources mentioned or referenced. If you're a social media type, connect with us on Facebook. Search Education Solutions Educators Group and request to join. If you're an e-newsletter type, you should subscribe to our education e-newsletter by emailing us at education at sourcewell-mn.gov. The e-newsletter goes out monthly and includes updates and events for our local educators. Special thanks to our Sourcewell Education Solutions office support team and multimedia for your production support. This podcast is brought to you by Sourcewell. Sourcewell is one of nine service cooperatives in Minnesota. We are a self-sustaining government organization that partners with schools, local government, and nonprofits to boost student and community success. Learn more at mn.sourcewell.org.